0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit ShorebreakChurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at ShorebreakChurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 18 this morning. And if you want to know what we're all about as a church, um, we're all about Jesus and his word. And so we are studying through the gospel of John. And so we find ourselves in John 18, message 45, in this gospel account. And we're going to finish it one day. We're not in any rush, though, just so you know. In case you're wondering, when are we going to be over? When are we going to be done with studying the gospel of John? Who knows? I actually don't know. So um thanks for hanging in there with us it's been an incredible study um aloha good morning my name is travis i'm one of the pastors here at the church and i am so blessed that you chose to spend your sunday morning with us if you're new and if you're visiting if you're kind of checking out what shorebreak is all about i just want to give a shout out to you and say welcome to church this morning um we are we are so honored and excited that you decided to spend your sunday morning with us Um, There's a lot of other things you could be doing Sunday morning, but you are here with us this morning, and we are stoked for that. And for those of you who call this church your home, we are, of course, equally blessed that you are here. And I had you turn to John 18. Let us all stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. John chapter 18, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, but you have a smartphone, you can, of course, go to YouVersion.com, Y-O-U-Version.com, and download an app there on your smart device and track along with us. Because it's like me trying to teach you to drive a car without a car, right? If you don't have the word of God, we're not going too far. So uh, verse, chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden with which his disciples had entered. him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So Jesus asked them again, whom do you seek? Jesus is, is Being rhetorical here, he's asking them again, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And in case you're wondering, the servant's name was Malchus. John decides to take note of that. It's Malchus. Poor Malchus, right? (laughs) So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain. And the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and they led him to Annas. He was the father of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, and Caiaphas, who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Let's pray. God, we come before you. We want to humble ourselves before your word. This is a sobering text that Jesus among your people was a betrayer. Among your chosen was one who chose to rebel against you. And with every single person that is in here this morning, God, we, knew, we know that through your faithfulness, you have drawn them to your house, to your church. They aren't here by accident. Maybe some are like Peter, kind of flying off the cuff. Maybe others are like Judas, who are wearing the jersey but are not on the team. But God, we know that because you've brought us here this morning, we have hope through your son, Jesus. And through the power of the Spirit, you can illuminate your word to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask right now that we would have help from you in studying your word. We need your help. God, would you do a work in us this morning and have your way among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. We are in the last 12 hours of Jesus Christ's life. The last 12 hours. And we just finished in John chapter 17, the longest prayer we have recorded of Jesus in all of the Gospels. It's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We, did, we took two sermons to go through because it was so good, Jesus' prayer was. And the cross is unfolding before Jesus here. He is knowing what is coming before him. And as we have just read here in these verses, the second half of verse 1, we are told that there was a garden with which he and his disciples had entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So the first thing we observe in studying this passage, the first thing we see, is that everyone knew this place. Everyone knew the Garden of Gethsemane as far as the disciples. This was a familiar place for Jesus and his disciples. So much so that even though Judas had already left the Last Supper and has gone off to go betray Jesus, Jesus knew. Judas knew right where Jesus was going to be. And this was a special place the garden was. We are told here in the scriptures that they met there often. So it was a place that they cried. It was a place that they laughed. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place where they talked story, it was a place where they studied scripture was a place where Jesus probably made fun of them, right? John, oh, you sons of thunder, right? Joking back and forth. And and, I mean, it was a place of memory. And you guys have those spots, don't you? We all have those spots, those places of memory, because the Garden of Gethsemane for them was their spot. And whenever you create your spot, your place, it becomes special, doesn't it? Some of you... Sit in the same exact seat every Sunday morning. I know that. I, I, I mean, I see you guys every Sunday. And then when you guys move, I'm like, what? What are you doing over there? You were there, and now you're there. What's happening? Like, you're throwing me off here. And, and of course, when you walk in and you see someone sitting in your seat, like, oh no, you didn't. You're sitting in my seat? And for five seconds, you are bitter at that person, but then you kind of get over it. But you, you go to the same coffee shop, it's your spot. You have that place where you like to camp. You have that stall, and if they park in your camping stall, oh, it's over, right? We have that beach we go to, those people we hang out with. In fact, uh, when I was working at Starbucks, one up on Henry, um, I remember going to work at like 4.35 in the morning and uh, and I remember seeing these people, and they were there frequently. They had their spot. They were out there in the morning, like clubbing in the Safeway parking lot. Like, and they're like, "Like, what is going on here?" Like, it w- but it was their spot. It was a special place for them. And the idea of being a special place, a special spot, has become that area becomes nostalgic. It's where memories are fused into our minds, emotions are brought up, time. And time again, and our hearts become molded to that place because memories are formed there. And for Jesus and the disciples, the Garden of Gethsemane is a safe place. It is their spot. It is a place of intimacy. It is a place where they laughed and where they cried, and Judas knew that they were going to be there. And it is often, even within our own lives, in the safe places places of intimacy, the places that are very personal, the places where we have many memories, it is often in those places where the acts of worst betrayal take place with the ones that we love deeply, with the ones that we've given so much to, and then they turn their backs on us, and they stab us, and it hurts. So here in the garden scene, By the way, the Garden of Gethsemane is not like Gothic, right? There weren't Gothic statues there, and it wasn't like spiderwebs. I mean, it was a beautiful subtropical location at night, at evening. Maybe the stars were out. The moon was shining, a little bit chilled. Enter Judas Iscariot stage left. Invades this intimate place. And we don't know a lot about Judas uh, in the Bible, actually. Um, We know a lot about Peter, James, John, Andrew, other disciples. But the Bible chooses to, I think, through the Holy Spirit, writing Scripture, not to talk too much about Judas. Judas here is only mentioned 19 other times in Scripture. He doesn't get a lot of cover story. And even though we don't know a lot about him, we do know some things about Judas. And some of the things that shock me about Judas, if you're taking notes, is this. Judas was chosen by God. Doesn't it shock you a little bit at all? I mean, Jesus, let's rewind now. Jesus, just before he picks his 12, Jesus is fasting and praying all night long. Now, those of you guys who are in high school or you remember back to your party days, all-nighters, after an all-nighter, you don't think too straight, do you? I mean, you don't even have to be on anything and you make some pretty stupid decisions. And, And you would almost think that about Jesus choosing his 12 disciples. He chose Peter, a fisherman, Hey, let's go change the world, bro. Peter's like, uh, okay, um, whatever that means, right? He's a fisherman. Why would you choose a fisherman and do the work of ministry? He chose James. Choose Nathaniel. Nathaniel's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Meaning, <laughs> someone holy can come out of the wicked place. I mean, you could that could be that could be a whole study on its own. But after praying and after fasting, Jesus says, Judas, I want you to be on my team. I want you out of everyone in this, walking on the face of this earth, to be part of my 12. This amazes me. He chose Judas to be a disciple, knowing full well, though, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. John 17, verse 12, that Judas would be lost because he was never found, because he was part of the sons of destruction. It's verse 12 of chapter 17. You know, it's crazy though, Judas. What did he see? We know Jesus saw a ton of things. Judas watched Jesus raise people from the dead, like Lazarus. He was there. Judas was there when Jesus raised children from the dead. Judas was there when Jesus fed thousands upon thousands of people, when he turned water into wine. Judas was there, and he saw Jesus bend down. He was an eyewitness. He saw Jesus washing all of the other disciples' feet. And Judas was also one who watched Jesus wash his own feet. Judas's feet were washed by Jesus because Jesus chose, served, loved, and cared for Judas. Isn't that amazing? The love and the grace of God, Jesus knowing the entire time that he was going to betray him. We also know this about Judas. Judas was one who was in charge of the money. And John chapter 12 reveals us that yes, he was in charge of the money, but he stole money. All the money that was to go to the widows, the poor, and the orphans, Judas is like, I'm taking a portion for myself, I would say Judas was never a believer. Judas never really loved Jesus. He always loved himself because he cared more about taking than giving. He cared more about his well-being than others. And while Judas was being served by God, Judas never served God or his people because he only served himself. Judas was only in it for himself. And I pray that we, as a people, as a church, be a people who are not self ish but selfless that we aren't a people who live for our own glory seeing what we can get from this life and see how we can make much of ourselves but that we be a selfless people set apart for God to give him glory that is my prayer because we are never more like Judas than when we live for ourselves and even though Judas was an enemy of Jesus Jesus was a friend of Judas If you're taking notes, write this down. Psalm 41 verse 9 prophesied hundreds of years before this ever took place. Even my close friend, whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Jesus was a close friend of Judas. So we read in verse 3 that Judas having put a band of soldiers and officers together from the chief priests and Pharisees, notice this, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Judas's treachery, this betrayal of Judas was not done alone. There was a crowd with him. And this is the truest sense of the blind leading the blind. Judas here is leading people to Jesus. And you know what? Sadly enough, this is the only time we see Judas ever leading people to Jesus, is at this moment of betrayal. And if you look at that word crowd, the word for crowd in the original language, well, when we picture a crowd for a moment, let's step back. When we picture a crowd, what do we picture? At this act of betrayal in the Garden of the Gethsemane, we think maybe 12 people, 13 people, 14 people, right? I mean, that's what we picture. All the Pharisees are there, Roman soldiers are there, they're going in to arrest Jesus. The word for crowd implies 200 to 300 people. So this kind of changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? Judas is doing the act of betrayal with hundreds of people. We're not talking about a small A team anymore, okay? We're talking about a small army pursuing it, going after Jesus here in the garden of Gethsemane. Why in the world would they send two to three hundred people for one guy? Because they didn't know it was going to go down. And when does this all take place at night? The very reason why they did this at night is because it's usually in the shadows of darkness, when sin spreads like an infection because the world at large is not looking. That's why they did it. It Spreads like an infection. But here's the irony of it all. Look at the second half of verse three here. So Judas, putting the soldiers together, the Pharisees' chief priests, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. They are using torches to find the light of the world. And they are using weapons to apprehend the Prince of Peace. They couldn't have gotten Jesus more wrong, could they? They did not know Jesus. Judas knew a lot about Jesus, but, but Judas never had a personal relationship with Jesus It's what you see. They didn't know anything about Jesus. And what you think of Jesus is the most important thing about you. We've said that again as a church, and we will say it again and again and again. The most important thing about you is what you do with Jesus. Because when you rightly worship Jesus, you rightly glorify Jesus. Because a right view of Jesus leads to living a right life and a righteous life. And a right view of Jesus means you rightly worship him and glorify him. But a wrong view of Jesus, a perverted view of Jesus, using torches to find the light of the world, using weapons to apprehend the Prince of Peace, like Judas, that will lead to destruction. When you wrongly view Jesus, you commit spiritual suicide. And that it is why I am so against pastors who stand up on stage on Sunday and say, Jesus wants to give you everything you want. All you gotta do is proclaim it. No, that is wrongly viewing Jesus. That is not who Jesus is. He isn't a genie in a bottle. You rub him the right way. He gives you what you want. That is not Jesus. Jesus is one who gives you what you need, and he will often take the things that you want away so that you realize he is everything you need and everything you were searching for outside of him will fail you. That is the good news. The good news is not, come to God, he'll give you a Ferrari. The good news is, come to God, you might lose everything, but you still got Jesus. That is the gospel. So let us not be a people who commit spiritual suicide. Please let us rightly view Jesus. Let the scriptures shape our thoughts on Jesus, and not even me. Don't even let just the things that I share Shape your view of Jesus because I'm infallible. I'm fallible. I can make mistakes. The word of God is infallible. I am not, however. So you be like the Bereans and you take what we study on Sunday morning or even the churches that you are from or the people that talk about Jesus and you take that up against the word of God. And if what is being shared does not match up with this book, then it's false. It's not true. And you guys can do that with me. If there's something I share that's wrong, By all means, I'm growing. I am learning. We are growing in the word and the study of God's word together. Let us not commit spiritual suicide and view Jesus wrongly. Verse four, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen, that's amazing, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to him, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said to them, "I am he." Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. Soldiers armed, teams assembled. They probably even had a battle plan going in because they did not know what was going to go down. Enter the beautiful garden of Gethsemane, approaching, approaching the 12 men that were in there with their torches high see a man with a bloody face say have you seen Jesus of Nazareth we are looking for him and Jesus says I am he I am that I am here I am they couldn't recognize Jesus because of the dark shadows because of the blood on his face from his prayers when the capillaries under his skin bursted under agony of the cross. And as Jesus is saying these things, the other disciples are apprehended, bound up and arrested. Hundreds of people surrounding them. And this seems all chaotic, doesn't it? Seems a little bit out of control. And Jesus, who has to perf- perfectly fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament, dying on a tree, almost seems like he has to improv here on the moment, Right? You guys know like the improv, on the spot, they gotta think of something creative. Got, that's almost what it looks like here on Jesus's part. But we are told here at verse three that Jesus knows, and verse four, Jesus knows exactly what is happening because everything is going according to God's plan. Nothing is out of control here. Jesus knows exactly what is happening. And we know this because, well, for one verse, I believe it's verse four, then Jesus, knowing all, That what happened to him, that's one way we know everything is going according to God's plan. Another way we know that everything is going according to God's plan is we read this in verse 6. When Jesus said to them, answering this, he said, I am he. That short but powerful statement, I am, ties directly back with what Jesus said in a conversation with the Pharisees. In John 8, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. At which, at that moment, they decided to pick up rocks and stone him and kill him because Jesus was declaring to be God. In fact, you know the story. When Moses is called by God to lead the Egyptians out of their slavery and bondage, Moses is tripping. He's like, no way, God. I can't even speak. I got a speech impediment. I can't do this. Why in the world would you want me to do this of all people? He said, you know you're going to do it? I'm going to empower you to do it. I will see you through it. And he says, okay, who should I say sent me? God said, Jesus said, I am that I am. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying here. Before Abraham, Jesus was. Before the foundations of the world were set, Jesus was ruling and reigning. And in the midst of the worst betrayal in the history of the world, Jesus is saying, I am that I am, and I got this under control because nothing is outside the sovereignty of God. Nothing is outside of God's control. And that directly applies to you. Listen, even if things seem out of control, the enemy is advancing and the enemy has surrounded you and the enemy is taking you out. Know that as long as the I am is with you, it doesn't matter how bleak the situation looks, God is in control. If you're standing behind enemy lines, God is still in control, but you're on the wrong team. and You gotta Repent. You come back, but God is still in control. And our human reflex is to take matters into our own hands, isn't it? When we see things happening out of control, that's what I do. I'm like, all right, what do I got to do? I got to figure something out. And we we take matters into our own hands. And that is exactly what Peter does, doesn't he? Literally takes matters into his own hands. In verse 7, we read this. So we ask them again, Whom do you seek? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. They're asking him again. Jesus here is making sure that they know who they're arresting. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter Taking a sword, taking things into his own hands. If you can count on anyone to do something dumb, just insert Peter. Uh, We're not being hard on Peter. We're all Peters. Having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Peter here now taking measures into his own hands, decides to go Mike Tyson on Malchus. So I'm just going to take him out. One of two things is happening here, though. One, Peter is incredibly accurate with a sword. Two, Peter is incredibly inaccurate with a sword. Peter is either... I'm really good. I'm just going to warn him. Don't ever do this. I'm going to chop off your ear or Peter entirely missed his head. Which knowing Peter, he was going for the kill shot, was he not? He is going, he's like, off with your head style. You're gone. See you later. And Peter, fishermen shouldn't just pick up swords. That's the application there. In verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Come on, Peter, knock it off. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So Jesus asks this rhetorical question, and he said, Peter, I've told you time and time again, I have to go. I am going to the Father. I'm not going to be with you any longer. I'm going to send a helper, and everything will be better. But, but I told you, this has to happen. Of course Jesus has to drink the cup of wrath that God has poured upon his son. And Jesus, we know, graciously from other gospel accounts, kneels down, how gross is this? Picks up the bleeding ear, places it back on Malchus' head, and is miraculously healed. Jesus heals a man who is going to kill him. Jesus washes the feet of Judas, the world's most notorious betrayer. And Jesus, I believe, makes eye contact with Peter at this moment, arrested, in bondage, bloody face from his prayer time with the Lord, looking at Peter, making direct eye contact, saying, Peter, this has to happen. There is no other way. And before we get too hard on Peter, who can really blame Peter? He is seeing the world that he left for Jesus crumble to pieces before his eyes. He left his business. He left his job. He left everything for this Jesus. And here he is being arrested, going away, and Peter knows this is not good. When there's 300 dudes around with weapons, it's not a good day, right? When the SWAT team comes knocking on your door, it's generally not a good thing. And Peter might not be a genius, but he is putting this all together. And before we get too hard on Peter, imagine the emotion that is going through Peter right now. Imagine the pain Peter, Jesus, and the other disciples feel at this moment. Judas, you were our friend. We have, Judas, we have been a friend with you, bro, for three and a half years. Come on, bro. What's your problem? You were in charge of the money. Even when it was Mary, Mary was washing your feet and anointing with oil, you said, We should have given that money to the poor. And you've been stealing for three and a half years. I was your friend. You were my friend. Why? The Bible doesn't tell us why. We know that, according to John 17, 12, he was destined for, to be lost for the son of destruction. I, I don't t- entirely know what that means. The Bible doesn't give us an explanation as to why Judas does this, And they're thinking, Judas, I thought you were one of us. And this is the last time, you guys, we see Judas in the gospel. This is the last time. To give you a little backstory, before this all goes down, Judas goes into the, stands before the religious men, says, hey, I know where Jesus is. So they give him 30 pieces of silver. Judas trades in God for 30 pieces of bling. But then, of course, Judas later, has a little bit of buyer's remorse. Whoops, shouldn't have done that. Throws the money back back at them. Is incredibly sorrowful for what he has done. Makes a noose for himself. Hangs himself on a tree. Most commentators and scholars believe he hung himself on a tree over a cliff even though Christ was going to hang on a tree. Judas didn't have to die. The branch broke, his body hit the ground, and his guts spilled out everywhere. And that's the end of Judas. A tragic, tragic ending. When his body was discovered, it would be buried in the potter's field. Potter's field was a field that was purchased with blood money, ironically enough. And I've been asking myself, why? Why? Now, we're not about to answer the question, why? Because the Bible doesn't answer the question, why? But here is one thing that has been on my heart that I want to share with you. Judas has no excuse. Does Judas have an excuse? He does not. And thinking about Judas's life, was Judas loved enough? Some people would say, no, Judas just wasn't loved enough. If Judas was loved a little bit more, maybe he wouldn't have done that. Was Judas loved enough? He hung out with God for three and a half years. He was loved enough. He was deeply loved. Jesus washed his feet just before he's going to betray him. Judas was loved enough. Well, maybe Judas didn't really know the gospel. Did Judas know the gospel? He preached the gospel. Judas sat under pretty good preaching. Would you agree with me? I would say Jesus is a pretty good preacher, like the best, right? I mean, there's no one better at preaching the word of God than God because everything he says is the word of God. And Judas sat under that preaching for three and a half years and under the most incredible and under the most best preaching, Judas still did not have that relationship, personal relationship with God. That blows my mind. Judas had no excuse. If Judas just knew Jesus. Judas knew Jesus. You guys, Judas had access to Jesus whenever he wanted. He could have approached Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, I've been stealing money. I love money more than I love you. I need to be saved. I need your help. I am desperate. This is going to go down really bad if I don't change. I need you. But he didn't do that. He had Jesus at his disposal whenever he wanted. Judas had no excuse. Well, maybe if Judas was just around the right type of people, right? If he was around the right type of people, then Judas would be a better person. Judas' small group, his community group, his ministry training was with Peter. Like Peter wrote books of the Bible. Pretty good resume, right? Um so Judas, what training did you were you under in ministry? Oh, Jesus Christ. The seminary of God. You guys know like, you know at the yearbook, right? When you're when you when you graduate and there's all the seniors, they have the one who's most likely to succeed and then they have this person and then he ends up like failing miserably and the nerd ends up that you never were friends with, that you were now wish you were friends with, is like running a Fortune 500 company. And you're like, oh, dang it. That was stupid. And so you're kind of like, you know, you, you look through the yearbook and this person's destined for this and this person's destined for that. And, 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 and you look and it's like, Judas's yearbook would have been pretty incredible. Peter preached the first message of the church apart from Jesus. 3,000 people get, got saved. John, who wrote the gospel, we're studying and reading, was one of Judas's close friends. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. Pretty good resume, I would say. That's not too shabby. Have you hung out with someone recently who wrote a book of the Bible? I don't think so. If you did change your friends, should lay off the, you know what, just a little bit. He was around all the right people. He was around a group of men that would forever change the world. Judas was not a victim. Judas was determined to live for himself. And so often, we often are looking for the handout looking for the entitlement because we feel victimized. Who can I sue next? Who can I get this from? How can I receive something it's from everyone else because I am a victim? Because when we are victims, it's always someone else's fault. There's always someone else to blame, always someone else to blame shift other than ourselves, right? We don't want to take responsibility. Now let me say this. Some of you are victims. And I'm not talking about you. With the thing that have happened to you. Some of you have been raped, and that is absolutely tremendous and horrible. And Jesus will heal you and mend you together, and you are a victim of a horrible sin. Some of you are a victim of horrific betrayal, maybe from your own children, maybe from others. Yes, I know that is difficult. And I'm not talking about those things. But some of us play the victim card, and we know who we are. I'm a victim. Yeah, so bad. It's because of my bloodline. I mean, if I just had money and I wouldn't have this deal. If you knew my family, bro. huh. If you knew my family, that would all make sense. And I blame them for who I am today. It's not my fault. It's my family's fault. It's my circumstance's fault. But at the end of the day, as wicked as Judas was, He is responsible, and at the end of the day, no matter what good or bad has happened to you, you are responsible. When you stand before God, when you breathe your last, and you are there, and he asks you, what did you do with my son Jesus? Your mama won't be there to blame. It's gonna be you and him. You can't pull up the worldly circumstances anymore that enticed you, that pulled you away and say, it was their fault, it was that person, it was that temptation, that's my way out. God is going to let you off the hook at that point. It's you and it's him, and you better settle that with him before that day. You will be responsible for what you did with Jesus. And this is what scares me, scares me. And this is what should scare all of us that you can be around all the right people, know all the right things, be deeply loved, and still reject Jesus because you were in it for yourself. I can be in it for myself. And for me, that scares me. And how bad was Judas? How wicked was this man? At the Last Supper, Judas' heart was so wicked, he opened himself up to demonic activity, and Satan himself possessed Judas. He became Satan possessed. Judas wasn't a betrayer because of his circumstances, but Judas' circumstances revealed that he had always been a fake. if you're taking notes, please hear this. Let this settle into your heart. Circumstances don't make our hearts evil. They reveal what residual wickedness still remains inside of us. Let me say that one more time. Circumstances do not make us evil. They reveal what residual evil still remains inside of our hearts. The storm reveals what our foundations are built on. And the storm comes to the one who's built on the rock of Jesus and the same storm comes to the one that is built upon the foundation of sand. Theologian and author, I, I really appreciate him. Paul Tripp says this, the evil world around you isn't your greatest danger because it's always the evil inside of you that draws you to the evil outside of you. Like Judas, our greatest enemy is ourself, and our remedy is only Jesus. You are your worst enemy, but Jesus is your only remedy, and he will help you. This man, Judas, once labeled as one of the 12 disciples, is now labeled in scripture, if you're taking notes. As traitor, betrayer, and son of destruction. It's gotten to a point of being, from being a secret to now where he's come out in the open because being a fake will only last for so long. And if you're faking it, stop it. We're going to find out. And I'm not saying don't run away, run to Jesus and he will forgive you of your hypocrisy. He will. And we know from other gospel accounts that Judas kissed Jesus to reveal who the betrayer was. What shocks me is that Judas stood, the second half of verse six as we read, he stood behind enemy lions. And as this scene continues to unfold, verse 12 we read this. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officer of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas. For he was the father of Caiaphas who was the high priest that year. And It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So as Judas steps backwards still standing steps away from the spotlight let's jesus get arrested jesus in this moment steps into our place this is the moment where the substitutionary atonement of jesus is fulfilled and what i mean by substitution is jesus took the bullet for us jesus hung on the cross that you and i should have hung on jesus took the penalty for a sin that we We're rightfully due. He absorbed that. He substituted himself in our place. And this is the moment where Jesus is becoming our substitution. And Jesus is fulfilling God's plan of redemption at this moment. It is at this very moment he is fulfilling it. Just as Abraham took his son Isaac up to the mountain. You guys know the story in Genesis. Abraham the father makes his son carry his own wood at the age of around 30 up to a mountain for a sacrifice. And as Abraham, the father, lays out, builds this sacrifice, Isaac's like, hey, dad, where is the lamb? Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham the father looks to his son and he says, God himself will provide the sacrifice and as right as Abraham is about to strike his own son and kill him God spared Abraham's son an angel stopped him and God provided a ram a lamb and here he is though Abraham had his own son spared God did not have his own son spared Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son. God didn't spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all. 1 Peter 3.8 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the, unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. And I don't think Caiaphas knew how real and how truthful his statement was in verse 14. Look at verse 14. And it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. He was so right. A million death of sinners is still not enough to atone for our sin, but the death of God is enough through the redemptive power of Jesus' blood to cover our sin. Here's what I want you guys to see here in closing. Thousands of years earlier, there was a garden. And our first father, Adam, reigned and ruled in that garden, walked with God in the cool of that day. And we know that Adam, as he was tempted, along with Eve, Adam sinned. Our first father, Adam, sinned. And when Adam sinned at that moment, Romans 5.12 tells us that our first father, Adam, this, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people. Why? Because all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it was through our father, Adam, we all inherited sin. And some of you might say, that's really fair. So I was born into sin? Yes, you were. We came out pre-wired as selfish sinners. How does that make you feel, right? Now, some of you might say, well, that's not fair. Why did I have to inherit this sin from my first father, Adam, are you better than Adam? I mean, if we could have anyone represent all of mankind, who would it be? It would be Adam. Adam was perfect, created by God, walked with God in the cool of the day. He was the perfect human. I mean, if you're gonna go fight in a a, a boxing ring with Mike Tyson, let's just say, Go, go, right, cover your ears? If you're going to go and fight Mike Tyson or whatever, who is going to step in on your behalf? Are you going to do it? Are you going to find the best person to represent you? Adam was the best representative of all mankind. He still sinned, He still fell. And listen, you are no better than Adam because you sinned and I've sinned. That's what Romans 5:12 tells us. And this is the doctrine of original sin. We are all sinners. We are not not born inherently good, looking to serve one another. The moment we are born, what is it about? Me! Right? Come on, those of you who have had newborns, you know. The first thing a baby does is cry. And then they cry some more. And then you have to change your diaper, and then they cry some more. You don't have to teach your kid to be selfish, do you? No, we are all born into sin, original sin, because we are like our first father, Adam. But it was also in a garden when Jesus, the second Adam, would bring fallen man back into a loving relationship with Jesus. It is not in the Garden of Eden, though that is a place where sin fell, but it is in a new garden, the Garden of the Gethsemane, where the plan of redemption from the history of the world, where man would be brought back into a loving relationship with Jesus, where all the wrongs would be made right, where everything that wasn't done would be redone, would be brought back to the way God intended it to. Like, our second father, Adam, is that even biblical? 1 Corinthians 5.45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Then the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. You see, it was in the first garden. Sin was unleashed. But it is in this garden when sin begins to be atoned for. And in the moment of worst betrayal, God uses the worst of evils for his good purpose. Romans 8, he uses all things together for the good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. God will use even the most wicked evil things of this world for his glory. You guys, some of you might be Judas's in here. Some of us might have gone astray. Maybe some of us have betrayed Jesus with our life. Let me just say this. You do not have to have the same ending as Judas. Repent from your sin. The Bible tells us that our sin has separated us from God. That just as... Adam's sin, Im- immediately in the moment Adam's sin, sin entered the world and Adam began to die in his flesh. And we know that the ultimate pro- the production and the, the product and the fruit of sin is ultimately death when it gives full birth. Heaven and hell are real. And if you are like Judas and you do not repent from your sin, when you die one day, you will Pay for your sin and the punishment for sin of an unrepentant sinner is burning in hell for all eternity because it takes all eternity for God to unleash his righteous judgment upon unforgiven sinners. But God provided a son, a lamb, that stepped in our place, that took the punishment we deserved and that for those to respond to the work of the Spirit inside of their life and place their faith and their trust in him, we can repent and turn from our betrayal ways. We can turn from the Judas Iscariot within inside of us and we can run to Jesus. Because of the gracious sacrifice of Jesus, we can be forgiven of our sins. So church, we can stand with Christ or we can stand with the traitors. And the gospel, the good news is that through the power of God at work in your life, you can be in Christ. Let's pray. God, your word is sobering. Your word is convicting Spirit, fall upon us as I believe you are here in our midst. And as your word is gone out, we know that your word does not return void. I pray for every person in here that has been a Judas, that they would turn to you, respond to the Spirit of God at work in them. If we have been Judas's God, let us repent from our sin. If we have been in it for ourselves and not for your glory, let us run to you, Jesus, for you alone satisfy. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I know many of you in here, many of you I do not know, and I do not want to assume at any point in time that you might know Jesus, that you might love Jesus if you have heard the word of God go out, if you have realized that you have been a Judas and that you've never loved Jesus, that you are a son of destruction, but God has brought you into being a child of God and he has adopted you and you've placed your faith in him, I said, let me just plead with you, repent, repent, repent. Run away from your sin and run to Jesus. If you still have a pulse, it is not too late. If God has done that work in your life right now, I want you to raise your hand up in the air and respond to him in faith. I see your hands back there. Praise God. I see your hand up front. I see your hand there in the middle. Praise God. I see your hand there in the back. All right, you guys can put your hands down. By you raising your hand, what you are saying is you were acknowledging that you were a sinner, you were acknowledging that you have really never known Jesus and that you have come to know him through the power of the Spirit of God. And the Bible says, put your faith and your trust in him. For those of you that raised your hands, pray this after me. Prayer is simply having a conversation with God. Prayer is talking story with the God of this universe. And as you pray this prayer with Him, you can make it into your own words. It's not some superstitious prayer. Thank Him for the work that He's done in your heart this morning. God, thank you that you sent your Son Jesus to step in my place, to take my cross. I confess my sin. I am a sinner. I am wicked. I am evil because my heart is evil. God, give me a new heart. I turn from my sinful ways and I turn to you. Holy Spirit, give me strength to walk as your child. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for washing my feet, even when I hated you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.